Hey everybody, this is Armando Torres, and you're listening to the show before the show. And I'm Paige Wesley. And with us we have... Brad! And a Virgil's root beer on tap. <laughs> That's right, everybody. We're doing 12 Tribes and the Cult of Yellow Deli again. Woo! We are revisiting an older cult that we have covered because we have new information, and this is going to be a kind of larger, more in-depth coverage of that group. Absolutely. We cover sort of our reasonings behind it at the beginning of the episode, uh, and so I will just leave it to, well, I guess what is now past Armando and Paige to explain it to you. Um, Before we start the show, I wanted to get a bunch of plugs out of the way, and I'm going to hit you with them rapid style. First off, if you're looking to support the show, we have got a Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash cult podcast to, uh, to help us make this wonderful show. Oh, to, have you ever, do you watch, have you seen The Sopranos, right? No. Oh. I mean, I, I know enough about them to be culturally familiar with most references that you will make. Okay. Well, I just want to start calling this podcast this thing of ours. And that's it. Ah. That's, that's all I want to do. Like therapy. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, go to patreon.com slash cult podcast to help support this thing of ours. Um, and, uh, yeah, if you, uh, are looking for a new place to listen to the show, consider rooster teeth, <laughs> go to roosterteeth.com, download, uh, the app, uh, on your Amazon fire stick, your Roku television, your mobile device, uh, all that fun stuff. And, uh, check out all of these shows that they have there. It's a bunch of really fun content. Uh, and our last plug is for former host Andrea Gazetta. Beep, beep, beep. Yay! Yeah, she has a show, an art show that is debuting April 9th at VAR Gallery in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, if you want more information on that show, follow her on Instagram at Andrea Gazetta. Perfect. And I think without any further ado, let's hop into the show. Hello. Hello. Sandwiches. Yes. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. For the purposes of this podcast, we define a cult as organizations that rally behind an entity or leader who espouse beliefs outside the norm. Organizations that require physical or monetary sacrifice as a condition of membership. Organizations in which the doctrines followed by the leaders are different than that of the followers. Organizations in which isolation is encouraged either by commune living or by a policy of disconnection from outside relationships. And organizations that actively recruit new members. All cults might have some or all of these traits, and as always... These are our opinions. Thank you for tuning into Cold Podcast. I'm Paige Wesley. And I'm more hungover than man. <laughs> and with us we have... Armando Torres' ghost. Regrets! <laughs> <laughs> have we? Okay. I'm starting to think I might have a problem because now that I think mm. about it, I think the last three cult podcast episodes been I've been like, yeah, I've been hungover. I, I don't know if it's a problem as much as it's when we manage to record these episodes because peek behind the curtain, uh, I have been mind numbingly busy mm-hmm. for a month and a half and it will continue through March mm-hmm. because of a, a big thing I'm planning for. You have other big things you're planning for. And so collectively, the two of us are always like, I guess this is the one day we can record. 
learned. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's not. It's not. (laughs) Yeah, I don't want it to sound like shitty or whatever. But I, I, uh, the other like two weeks ago is it's my cousin's birthday. So you know, I had we I had to go out. I had to go out and drink some fucking claws with the boys. Mm -hmm. Um, and then last week, uh, he had a concert, and also my other friends were doing like a like a Valentine's Day concert. And so I had to, you know, had to show up, had to represent. Um, and then this one is because for work, we uh, we did a drunk stream. Mm-hmm. And I told you I was drinking a cocktail of my own creation that I called Overtime. Oof. And it is two shots of tequila. And then you mix it with a full white claw. Oh, my God. And after I... every drink, you have to chase it with a beer. That, oh. My liver hurts from here. Like from here, I'm feeling yeah. the pain. Yeah, people said that's that's a stupid idea and it's going to kill you. And I'm here to tell everyone that they were absolutely right and I should have listened. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you're willing to put crazy shit like that in your body because one of my chef friends volunteered to make you hot dog soda. Oh no. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, if you'd like you to know, take him up on it. <laughs> you know I'm going to drink it. That's the worst part. <laughs> Because here's the thing, I'll, I'll let you in on a little secret, hot dog soda water, hot, well, hot dog water soda is just going to be meaty, salty soda, which is exactly what the overtime tasted like, Paige. <laughs> it just tasted like salty soda. Oh, Absolutely. <laughs> but we are here, we're back, and uh, here. Paige, you have something uh pretty surprising for us yes and this is kind of the first time we've done this but i have we got reasons i'll explain uh when we first talked about the group that we're going to talk about today which is the 12 tribes Mm -hmm. it was episode seven six or seven i believe and that was over four years ago (laughs) at Mm -hmm. this point and we did not have good audio uh, it's one of the worst audio episodes on Forge. Uh, Armando wasn't there yet. And we didn't have all of the resources and info that is out now. We also had not done other episodes that actually play into the rise of the 12 tribes. And also, they started a fire. Yeah. <laughs> like a few months ago. And uh, we got to talk about that. Uh, so... This is the first time that we're kind of revisiting a group. I'll talk about it a little bit in the episode. There's a couple groups that we will probably do this for over time. Uh, The original episodes aren't going anywhere. They're going to stay there. Listen to them all you want. And they're not incorrect necessarily. It's more just we're visiting it from a perspective of more information, distance, and just more awareness about the cult climate overall around when that group was coming out. Or if something happens to them in the news, um, which, you know, is the case with 12 tribes. Yeah. And for reference, uh, Paige said that that was episode six or episode seven. Um, This episode that you're listening to right now is I just checked is episode 214. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We've been doing this show for five years, Paige. It'll be five years in August. Yeah. Are you fucking kidding? I haven't done anything. Okay, I, that's not true. I've breathed for 26 years. That's And then it's breathing and being alive for 26, doing this show for five. That is, right. I've never done anything for that long. 
which my I was talking to my parents this morning. Uh, they saw me do stand up for the first time in two and a half years because of pandemic mm-hmm. uh, in Santa Cruz this past weekend, which thank you to everyone who came. Uh, and they were like, you're 10 years into doing stand up. And at this point, we're like, she's the funniest she's ever been. But it took 10 years. And I'm just like, <laughs> man, I'm old. Fuck. <laughs> Like, I've been making bad decisions for 10 years. Damn. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'm about to, well, not about to, but next year in January, that'll be my 10 year anniversary in comedy. Although, I started doing stand up when I was 17. So I feel like the first couple of years don't really count, really. Yeah, you started at 17. I started right before I turned 25. So my, my 10 year is in October of this yeah. year. Yeah. 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 And it, that's that's the thing. You start at 17, it's really hard to do stand up normal cuz you're just like talking to a room full of adults and you're like, "You know how you have to ask permission to take a shit?" And they're like, "No. <laughs> what are you fucking go back to school, you child?" <laughs> oh man. Uh but anyway, so this is us revisiting this group. Um, I'm sure a lot of you have groups that you want us to revisit. Uh, I was re-watching sections of the new R. Kelly documentaries the other day, and I was like, well, I gotta go back and do this one, too. Yeah, I think. holy shit. I think yeah. that was like the third or fourth episode that I was on. Uh, it's episode nine, so it's actually, it predates you. Oh, my like, God. You're not you even serious? on that one. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. You're you're on an, a <laughs> recap episode that we did of it where just stuff had happened in the news, and we opened mailbags and, and talked about it, but... That's yeah. what it was. Yeah. Uh, right now, I, I would say the ones that I have, like, on my, like, list of, like, have to do uh, is this, which we're obviously doing now, and I've wanted to do for a while, R. Kelly, and then uh, Remnant Fellowship, a.k.a. Way Down Workshop. Mm-hmm. Because they oh. died in that plane crash. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. That, I, well, that t- black box down potential crossover maybe i don't know i think so i think so and i will get i will get the ball rolling on that asap um groups that i'm looking to revisit and try to redo uh i'm thinking i'm thinking the nazis i think bring them back i think it's (laughs) i think it's been a while (laughs) i'm trying to get back i want to talk about hitler's horny family (laughs) Uh, and I don't want to do these all back to back to back. I've got other stuff that I'm working on for after this. Absolutely. So we can space these revisited episodes out. But I do think that like sometimes it's worth coming back to look at stuff, you know, five years removed basically and see what we missed the first time or what yeah. we didn't understand the first time. And we'll stop talking about this, but also I want to tease it a little bit. I think it might happen in April or May, but we may have a very special guest coming in to do some uh, some very fun episodes with us. Um, yeah. And uh, that'll that'll be really good. Ooh, I'm so excited for that. T- too. Yeah, it's there. There's gonna be a lot of cool shit happening. Um, s- shit that I still contractually can't talk about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's two weeks away. They won't let me say anything. Uh, all I can say is I will be in Austin, Texas, March 12th <laughs> through 14th. I don't know if there's anything super important happening in Austin, Texas at that time for which I might be around for. Uh, but, you know, maybe if you Google what's happening that yeah. week. 
Yeah, a big, I would yeah. say, uh, like, uh, like maybe a significant event in Austin, Texas, where there may or may not be stand-up related entertainment. Yeah. Huh. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess I'll never know, so. Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, never heard of it. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so, are you ready to get into our sources? Absolutely. Awesome. So, we have an article from Deadline, a controversial religious group, the 12 Tribes, is set for docuseries. I'll talk about that. Uh, We have the Denver Post. Uh, The cause of the Marshall Fire could trace back to the still smoldering origins of Boulder County's mining history. Uh, We also have the New York Times. Colorado Wildfire Inquiry focuses on Christian sect, the 12 Tribes. Uh, Then we have Daily Mail. Investigators pin Colorado Wildfire to sinister 12 Tribes cult with dark history of child abuse. Then we have The Independent, an article on the Colorado fires and the 12 tribes compound in Boulder. Uh, We have the Southern Poverty Law Center's article on Into Darkness, which is actually covering a number of groups like 12 tribes, uh, but essentially radical Christian communal sects. Uh, Then we have 12tribes.org. Uh, We have Times Free Press of Chattanooga, which is basically the death of the 12 tribes founder leaves the future uncertain. Uh, Fun fact, the 12 tribes founder died during pandemic. So that's going to factor into a lot of this, too. Um, We also have uh, a number of articles by and and they're kind of like scholarly articles, not newspaper articles uh, by Susan J. Palmer and John M. Bozeman called the Northeast Kingdom Community Church of Island Pond, Vermont, Raising Up a People for Yeshua's Return. Then we have Pacific Standards article, Children of the Tribes. We have another Daily Mail article of former member of 12 tribes claims physical and psychological abuse traumatized him. We have a Good.is article on Shua Jones who escaped from the 12 tribes and has given basically multiple accounts of what happened to her. This is just one of them. Uh, We also have an Inside Edition episode on the undercover investigation that exposed child labor in the New York compound of 12 tribes. For context, Shua is the one that went undercover. So she risked it for the biscuit to go (laughs) see how young those kids were. Are you ready to talk about 12 tribes again? Yes, Or for you the first time. Yeah. Yeah. In 1972, Eugene and Marsha Briggs operated a local youth ministry out of a coffee shop called The Lighthouse. And as you know from our previous episodes, 1972 was prime time for the Jesus movement. This is a point at which the counterculture vibes from the 60s merged with radical forms of homegrown Christianity. And we've seen countless groups that come out at this time with a very similar origin story. Essentially, young people at the time didn't want their parents' church, but they did want spirituality, and that's where these groups come in. I don't have a ton of info about Jean and Marsha prior to this youth group, except that Jean was a former carnival barker and a high school guidance counselor. What? Wait, what? Like concurrently? Like at the same time? I I don't know. I imagine one before the other. Step right up, step right up. Why the fuck are you sad? Step right up and I will fix your problem. (laughs) Step right up and apply for community college right over here. You want to pay $1,500 for a couple courses in English and remedial math right this way? Yes. Um, But also, Marsha 
was his fourth wife. Ooh, like concurrently? Like at the same time? No, definitely. This was, you know, subsequent. Uh, But to give a little more context, Gene was born May 18th of 1937 and died in 2021, which means that he was 35 years old and on his fourth wife. (laughs) Here's the thing. Yeah, I mean, already. I wasn't married to Gene, so I can't say for certain but I will say that there's a common denominator in all of those marriages. <laughs> and it's the guy that's going to claim to be the second coming of the Lord later. So like, yeah. you uh, know, yeah. You know, my problem with Gene was that he was always talking about being the second coming, but it's like, I'm still waiting on the first coming. You know what I'm talking about? Ladies. <laughs> <laughs> Get it, Marsha. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she's involved too. So like, she's, you know, yeah, problems yeah. all around. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But see, this he is wouldn't what pick I... up his socks. He's always just picking up souls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is I forget the exact rule that I put it on, but I'm pretty sure the other episode I said, like, you're not allowed to get married until you're 65 or older. Right. Yeah. That was. The <laughs> yes, that's that your very controversial, weird rule. I don't think it's that controversial. I think it makes sense. You would be divorced so many less times if everyone got married at 65 and up. That is true. Um, now, regarding their like lives before the group, there's not a ton out right now. But I think there will be. Um, As I was kind of looking at this, there was an investigative podcast that was supposed to come out in 2018 after we did our original episode. Um, But it's impossible to find on the Internet. However, the guy who did all the interviews and the research and investigation for that podcast partnered with the production company that made the Way Down documentary, which is Gwen Shamblin and The Remnant which we will, uh, again, eventually revisit, mm-hmm. um, to potentially do a docu-series. So that could potentially come out in the next year or so, and maybe we'll find out more information about Gene and Marsha pre this. But for right now, there's limits to what's out there. So 1972, four times married, one time carnival barked, one time high school counseled. They form a group called the Light Bearers, working out of their lighthouse coffee shop in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Now, that's something that we didn't necessarily know ahead of time when we did our first episode. We didn't realize that they owned that coffee shop. And it was also their, like, small business kind of operating out of their house. And there is an interesting story about how the Light Bearers group starts. And I don't know if it's true. I know we covered this the first time, Uh, because it was one of the only stories we could find. Um, But according to some accounts, the group gets its start when Gene breaks up a fight in the parking lot of the coffee shop. And he talked everyone down and got them to pray and bury the hatchet. And allegedly, this impressed the people who were there that they decided to kind of buy into Gene as kind of a, you know, amateur preacher slash life coach mm-hmm. almost like telling a bartender your problems but he's the guy who owns the coffee shop well i mean he was kind of just born to tell people what to do as a carnival barker um, exactly also yeah. i i'm willing to bet that him stopping that fight sounded a lot like step right down step right down <laughs> back- step right back step right back <laughs> yeah back that shit up i'll knock you the fuck out sir yeah, I mean, I feel like Carnival Barker slash Guidance Counselor might be the best 
combo to stop a fight. Yeah. Because you're loud, but you're also like, what are you going to do with your life? Like, it's <laughs> kind of perfect. I also feel like, I mean... I don't want to. I don't want to be rude or anything. All, which is actually, you know what? No, historically yes, you do. untrue. You always yeah. do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's who you are. I feel like if you were trying to come up with the equation on how to make a preacher, Carnival Barker and Guidance Counselor put those two together. Bam! There you go. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to see an immaculate conception right this way to see the woman who's giving virgin birth? Like exactly. <laughs> Perfect. No changes. No revisions. Now, Jean and Marsha start having this group meet at the coffee shop, and it becomes kind of like a hip hangouty kind of place. And they're not affiliated with any specific church or group at the time, just people hanging out with Jean offering them his own brand of advice. Now, Jean, not tied to any specific church or group, has a loose understanding of the Bible, and he's kind of just making it up as he goes along. That's how he do. You know, he's just kind of carnival barking them into alternative religion. So, (laughs) okay. But again, they're doing all of this out of their business, their, their restaurant, their coffee shop, which allegedly was a very popular and well-attended coffee shop. And the more I kind of dug into that, their current system makes a lot more sense. Rope people in with good food and beverages and then make them join your cult. Like they've been doing it since the beginning. Now, the difference between them and a lot of the churches in the community is they took all comers. It didn't matter your social status, current belief system. As long as you were willing to listen to Gene, talk about God, you were in. Mm -hmm. And a lot like children of God at this same exact time, they were calling these people to abandon their materialistic lifestyle to serve something bigger. So... We are, hey, everybody, step right up. We're taking all comers. I'm talking squirters. I'm talking prostate comers. I'm talking twitchers. <laughs> hey, that's what I do on Twitch. I go live I, I, on Twitch. I go live on Twitch. Not not the sure. other thing. Not the yeah, other thing. Okay. That I do on uh, Instagram Live. There you go. Uh, and so their coffee shop becomes a hub for troubled teens and young people who need help. And eventually it branches out into Gene and Marsha's home as well. It's very Project Mayhem. Like, it is a lot like Fight Club. All of these people wanted to serve the Lord and, I mean, by extension, Gene. Mostly Gene. Um, and they didn't know what to do with all of these people that they now had kind of just around. So they had an idea. They expand their lighthouse coffee shop and open an adjacent restaurant called The Yellow Deli staffed by all of these teens that needed, quote-unquote, a second start. Now, at this time, they're now running a successful business in town, loosely Jesus-y, and in search of legitimacy for their organization. It's been about three years since they first start their light bearers group. It's now about 1975. So they decide that they're going to partner with the First Presbyterian Church in town. And again, that's not... the. First Presbyterian is their name. Yeah. It's not, yeah, you know. I've always, I think we've talked about it on the show before, but I, as somebody who didn't grow up going to church, that always fucked me up so bad. Yeah. <laughs> where I would just, you see these churches and you're like, wow. So that's the first church of Jesus Christ, huh? 
here mm-hmm. in Los Angeles, California, is yes. where Christianity started, huh? All the way from Jerusalem to Los Angeles, yeah. <laughs> I mean, crazier things have happened, Paige. Clearly, he went to Utah, you know, so. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Oh, we'll get, we haven't done hardly any Mormons. We got to do some Mormons this year. Yeah, we got to get Todd on the horn. That's true. That's Todd would love to shout about Mormons. He would, like, nothing would make him happier. Uh, So (laughs) it did not go well from the jump because First Presbyterian had a very traditional congregation at the time. Reed Hoyt uh, and... (laughs) A lot of the kids in Gene and Marsha's group saw First Presbyterian as their parents' church. Now, I do want to be clear. Gene and Marsha's group is also pretty white uh, at this time because they're going to get super racist later. Um, but they are of a varied social strata. And they are kind of more rockery, bikery, grungier than the people at this church. And they kind of see the congregation of this church as, quote, their parents' church. And the church sees them as rowdy troublemakers who threatened their very comfortable status quo. And it all comes to a head January 12th, 1975, when the light bearers arrived at First Presbyterian for services on Sunday, as they did every week, only to find out that service had been canceled for the Super Bowl. Which, by the way, if you're curious, that was Super Bowl number nine. (laughs) Okay. Super Bowl nine, which means it was a tradition less than a decade old. Uh, It was Steelers versus the Vikings. The Steelers won 16-9, led by quarterback Terry Bradshaw at the time. Wow. Okay. Huh. I was curious, as I was reading about this, I was like, what Super Bowl was that? What happened? An acapella group sang the national anthem. There was like a jazz tribute for the halftime show. It was Super Bowls used to be wild, but it was broadcast on NBC. So what? this was televised at the time. There's probably no way to know this. And, you know, the answer might be as as easy as the first one. But how many Super Bowls in do you think Super Bowl parties became like a huge deal? I think it is the first one. Right. Um, because from what I know of televised football, which is not a ton, I'm, <laughs> I'm sure my father who lived through it could shout more details toward me <coughs> if I asked. Um, but from what I understand, Super Bowl on TV was still fairly new. I mean, it is an invention of like the late 60s, early 70s. And because not everyone had a TV yet at that point. Like the 70s is kind of where everyone really has TVs. And NBC was like the place to broadcast football, but then there were other leagues and other things broadcast on other stations. And the Super Bowl was a way for NBC to kind of like claim legitimacy. Now it has changed hands a couple times, but I believe at the time it was like a TV stunt, if I remember correctly. I could be wrong about all of this. Who the fuck knows? I'm a lady who doesn't care about sports. (laughs) Yeah, I remember that we covered some of the drama with the other leagues and the NFL in our Trump series and how Donald Trump kind of single-handedly fucked over an entire league of football players. Yeah, Doug Flutie. Yes. Oh, my God. Flutie flakes. I'm still waiting. (laughs) Uh, Uh, Yeah. Anyway, so this is still it's still kind of new. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's still a big enough deal to cancel the cancel church. I don't remember if I talked about this in our first episode, but I remember as a child, they didn't cancel church for the Super Bowl, but church would have Super Bowl parties sometimes. 
See that they would like that sounds like the the thing that you should do. You know, like don't yeah. don't compete with it. Embrace it. Yeah, where like you would have service in the morning, and then they would like clear all the chairs out and bring in like couches and stuff from like other parts of the church, and there was like a potluck and stuff. I remember that happening like once. I don't know if it was repeat, but I do remember seeing it once. Anyway, the group of young people who considered themselves radically devoted to life with Christ were none too pleased to see that the status quo had abandoned their beliefs for a football game. (laughs) That they were like, this is who we're linked to? Like, this is the church we're with? So they did what made the most sense to them. And they formed their own church, the Vine Christian Community Church. And they didn't stop there. Because remember, they have a successful restaurant and coffee shop, mostly at this point staffed for free because they're already doing that shit, and a burgeoning church empire. So they had access to funds and free labor. So the church planted churches with each of its own Yellow Deli restaurants alongside to help fund the process. And in the next three years, they had opened restaurants and churches in Dalton and Trenton, Georgia, Mentone, Alabama, and Dayton, Tennessee. And this royally pisses off all of the local churches, not just First Press, because now the Vine Christian Community Church is the big church in town. They're like a church franchise at this point, but they have no charter. They don't have set rules and they don't have any doctrinal affiliation outside of whatever gene wants it to be. And we've talked about this idea of denominations and charters and how non-denominational congregations can be a problem because there's not an overseeing body. I'm not saying there's not problems on the other side. Just look at the Catholic Church. Like, I'm saying that, like, at least sometimes it's a good idea for someone to be able to check in and be like, wait, what are you doing? And they don't have that. And that can be a problem. This is absolutely one of those times where it's a problem. It was a problem when it was David Koresh. It's a bad idea when it's uh, the it, when it's David Berg from Children of God. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a bad idea often. Not all the time, but often. <laughs> Have people check in on shit. Question everything. You know, like we always say. By withdrawing from the local religious community, essentially, which is what they've done, they now have basically created enemies. They start having their own services called Critical Mass in a local park, Warner Park, which basically takes over part of the center of town to have these services. And they're drawing big crowds and they're pulling from local churches. They're appointing elders. They're baptizing people just whenever and wherever they feel like it. And this further deteriorates their relationship with all of the other churches around them. Now, it's not just the churches that are getting mad. It attracts the attention of a group called the Parents Committee to Free Our Children from the Children of God and the Citizens Freedom Foundation. You may recognize those names from our Children of God episode, but also from our deprogramming episode, because they immediately label this group a cult. Now, here's the thing. This is absolutely a situation where the desire to deprogram people jumps the gun because at this point has the group done some weird shit sure absolutely do they have people working aka volunteering for free 
yeah, but they're free to go at any time. They don't have a commune. They're not keeping people there. Right now, it's kind of just a weird church. And it's not like it's a it's definitely about to be a cult. Like their instincts were right and they just moved too early because they go hard at the 12 tribes hard and that turns the 12 tribes into martyrs because now it's not hey maybe should I question this group I'm in now it's everyone hates us and we're not even doing anything and it makes the groups calling for questioning and oversight into this group seem outrageous when there are problems in inside that church so people who would have maybe questioned and left now they stay and the church actually gains people as people kind of push back against the groups calling them a cult now the 12 tribes actually refers to this time in their history as quote the cult scare because they don't consider themselves a cult nobody ever does and this is happening concurrently with their church planting uh, as they're like building all those other churches and yellow delis to go along with it. So in 1976, Ted Patrick, Black Lightning, starts a series of deprogrammings to try and pull people out of 12 tribes. And they're not good ones. Most people go back, a few get out, but this is right before people start taking Ted to court for deprogramming. And again, at this point, 90% of the people who are going to these churches are just going to a church. Like it's not like the few people that are working and volunteering are the people who are the inner inner circle, the ones that are like living with Jean and Marsha or people who were there from the start who have now like raised through the ranks to start their own church. But like 90% of the people there are just like, I go on Sundays to the park. Like that's it. But they're being fucking kidnapped. <laughs> So the group ignores the negative press. They don't fight back. They do the opposite of what Children of God did. Because Children of God, when people started deprogramming people from Children of God, closed ranks and really fought against it. And it just made them seem more cult-like. And by the way, at this point, Children of God is like already putting people on buses and brainwashing people and whatever. Twelve Tribes hasn't gotten their buses yet. They're going to. But they haven't gotten them yet. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is this is the era where you either have dune buggies or buses. And this is right. definitely a bus cult. This is absolutely a bus cult. So they're just vibing, being a weird church, opening more restaurants. They actually open uh, something called the Aeropegas Cafe and a second Yellow Deli in Chattanooga where it's like, we're doubling down. <laughs> like... Not only are we going to say that we're not a cult, we're opening an additional restaurant. Um, and a note about Yellow Deli, because part of the thing about Yellow Deli now is that they make a lot of stuff in-house. They produce a lot of stuff at their nearby farms. They don't have their farms yet. These are just restaurants. Yeah. Like, it's not even as much of the vibe as it is now. So now they have half a dozen or more restaurants, cafes, other things like that. And they're throughout the South and the Northeast. They're starting to branch out even more. And 1978 rolls around. And in 1978, Jean gets invited to be the head pastor of a small church in Island Pond, Vermont. And he declines the original offer because he wants to keep being his own boss. That's how Jean do. 
And he kind of considers instead, what if we just like took that church, which is basically what happens. He has everyone kind of start moving all of their operations out to Vermont and they kind of assimilate that church where they then become the Northeast Kingdom Community Church of Island Pond, Vermont, because they're bad at branding and they don't know how to shorten their names yet. So this coincides with one of Ted Patrick's last deprogramming cases. In Chattanooga in 1980, he actually, this is one of the last ones he has before he's court ordered to stop deprogramming people. And in this case, a local police detective had his 27-year-old daughter arrested on a fake warrant to facilitate her deprogramming. So literally kidnapping an adult. Yeah. This and is, she is one of the people we talked about in our deprogramming episodes. This is why we always say a cab. All cops are bad fathers. Okay. That's, <laughs> that's what it stands for. I mean, I'm, I mean, my, I would like to say that my uncle who was formerly a policeman has been a, a good father to my cousin, but in this case specifically, this guy is a terrible father, but it's not just him because he gets Ted Patrick involved Right. And they convince the local judges to uphold the fake warrant. Oh, my. So they God. know it's fake and they agree to let it slide, even with inaccurate information, even though it's fake to kidnap a full grown woman from this group. Now, again, 12 tribes is full ass occult. We have multiple episodes where we're going to talk about how very much occult they end up being. But at this time, this is them very much overreaching to pull this woman back. And again, it causes more of a martyr complex. That is so fucked. Just like on every single level, not only is it like, yes, they jumped the gun, they had something legitimate. But if if any case was broken by using a false warrant and then that warrant was upheld, like, fuck off. That's. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> And again, she was 27. She yeah. was not like, not that it's okay <laughs> to falsify court documents when someone's younger, but specifically, this is a full ass adult being kidnapped. So at this point, Jean and Marsha have kind of reached their breaking point. The constant court cases and the bad press had taken a toll. And all of the negative media exposure was making people question Jean's motives, but also making them just generally unhappy. Because even if they were staying in the group, they felt like they were constantly being accused of being a cult. They were constantly threatened with deprogramming. But then also it's impossible to have everyone not look around and be like, maybe they have a point. So Jean makes the decision to start closing all of their churches and yellow delis. Now they leave a couple yellow delis open, but largely the group completely retreats to Vermont. And upon the retreat to Vermont, basically in one of his addresses to try and convince the churches to come with him, he admits that the constant deprogramming cases and the media attention have left them in colossal debt. And their only option was to retreat to Vermont to form what would become their first farm commune. Now, they go, and not everyone stays, because commune life ain't for everybody. 
It's not an easy life. There's a bunch of economic turmoil. They almost starve a few times because everywhere they go, people are pointing the cult finger and it makes it impossible for them to live sustainably. Now, uh, here's the thing. Not wrong. That's an accurate finger, I would say. But in a way, this is a kind of unique case where all of the deprogramming attention, all of the media attention, all of the people going after them forces them to be more of a cult than they were, where it's almost just like it it pushes them to a point where they become way more cult-like than they started out because they're trying to get away from these people. Now, just because they went to Vermont doesn't mean that the accusation stops. The Citizens Freedom Foundation follows them to Vermont. And they had tried to accuse them of mind control in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and lost. But now they had a new case, and they were going to make accusations of child abuse. So in 1983, they file charges against one of the members, a man named Charles Eddie Wiseman, who is an elder in the group, for misdemeanor simple assault. Now, we have to talk about this. He definitely did assault people. A hundred percent. This is a valid accusation. And in fact, Charles Wiseman will become a figure in the group later on in regards to further abuse later. Um, But they don't have their ducks in a row with this court case. They also try to combine it with multiple child custody cases where people have become estranged, like maybe they were in the church together and then one person leaves and they want custody. We've seen that with a lot of groups. They try to do it all for a search warrant and they get their way. And in June 22nd of 1984, Vermont State Police and the Vermont Social Rehabilitation Services seize 112 children from the commune and then return them the same day. Because it turned out that a lot of the evidence that the Citizens Freedom Foundation claimed they had didn't really stand up. They had mischaracterized a lot of events that were going on. Uh, They had claimed that there were concerns lodged by parents or other people in the community, and those didn't hold up under scrutiny. And altogether, they kind of moved prematurely. And so the case falls apart. In fact, two months after the raid, the case against Wiseman completely falls apart, even though it I would say it's probably a valid ac- accusation. The main witness ends up recanted, saying that he was influenced by Citizens Freedom Foundation. So they basically torpedo their own case. And it gets dropped in 1985 after a judge ruled that Charles Wiseman had been denied his right to a speedy trial. So they lose on a technicality. Like, they don't even lose because the things that they're accusing them of didn't happen. They just don't have their shit together, and so they lose. So the public defender, Gene Swantko, who had been present during the entire trial and the raid, ends up joining the group and marrying her client, in the cult, which also adds, you know, fuel to this fire that they couldn't be that bad. Even the lawyer joined them. After the case against them is dropped, the local community embraces them. They finally have the people's trust and ability to grow because everyone around them 
viewed them as being persecuted and hurt by an overzealous court system. They thought that they were just a group of peaceful people who wanted to work the land and maintain their business while practicing their brand of Christianity. And they actually reopen a ton of yellow delis during this time. They start opening new churches. And all of this is kind of a bummer because that raid and the case were probably justified for a bunch of different reasons. And they got lost on a technicality. And we'll cut to that next week. Wow. Yeah. Next week's yeah. going to get kind of dark. There's some child abuse next week. Warning ahead of time. Hey, absolutely. And, um, you know, I I have a couple of questions uh, not related to the abuse. More, more just sort of clarifying. Are the Yellow Delis at this time in the same style that they are now? This second wave of Yellow Delis is the style that we have now. Okay. So... The first wave was completely different. Um, they didn't have their own farms. Um, they didn't have the ability to build the way they do now. Uh, if you've been to a Yellow Deli now, most likely that Yellow Deli building was built from scratch by the group. Yes. That was not the case initially. So for anyone who is has not been able to visit a Yellow Deli... Um, when I first heard about Yellow Deli, the term deli has a connotation in my mind of like, um, what are they called? Like the uh, like the Seven Eleven like lighting, yeah, yeah, you know. like a deli it's, counter, yeah, like a like a deli. Like you would think of a deli. It's got tiles. It's got you know whatever. It's just like a quick little sandwich shop. Yellow Deli is like if they had subways in Lord of the Rings. It's yeah, you know. I mean, honestly, kind of though. It's the tavern you stop at before you take the ring to Mordor for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're carved out of wood. The one in Vista, California, it's like next to like a dentist office. Oh, fun fact, bro. Have you been recently? I have not. Okay, I'm here to tell you. So I've been since pandemic, and I will actually I'll be there around the time. The second episode of this drops. Okay. Because I like checking in on them. I'm very curious about what they do. Uh, and we're going to talk a lot about their industry and their business next week. Uh, and some of the child labor allegations. Not allegations. They caught it on video. The child labor stuff is next week. And then finally the fire. Um, but in Vista. So if you're in Vista, California, you want to see this. The Yellow Deli used to be kind of at the end of this little street that had kind of like a little mini mall next to it, like a street corner that had like a couple, you know, storefronts. And then it's kind of dead end, like a rainforest cafe where it kind of has like, it's like grown out of the land. Yeah. Um, now, the storefronts that used to be a dentist and like a community theater and like a playhouse and something else are all closed, they did not survive COVID, and they are all 12 tribes businesses now. What? Yes. So they've taken and merged a few of those storefronts into a, like a church, like a, a Sunday school kind of thing. Then on the end, they've taken one whole storefront where they sell all of their products that they make that are not the like 
necessarily like the deli stuff, like the other stuff they make mm-hmm. where, so there's like clothing, skincare, soap. We're going to talk extensively about their soap next week. And cause that's a huge, huge place where they were using child labor. Um, but then they also bake fresh bread. So if you want to buy some of the bread that you ate at the restaurant, you can buy it and they have like a bakery that you can like buy it and stuff there now. I guess I didn't realize how into soap they are. Now I'm seeing just exactly how alike they are to Fight Club. I mean, here's, uh, I am weirdly into soap making. I've never made soap. I just want to. It's just one of those things where I'm like, this is a craft that's going to take up my entire house and I'm going to do it once or twice and then never do it again. So I should not even do it the once. Well, see, here's the thing. I want to make fun of you. I really do. I'm I sure you really, do. really do. But you I started know. the pandemic by learning how to bake and grow your own stuff and, and you know, basically preparing for an apocalypse. And I went, Paige, you're an idiot. What apocalypse <laughs> is ever going to, oh, what's that? World War Three is starting? What's that? <laughs> I have to learn how to make all my own clothes? What's that? Soap is gone? Yeah, so... Hey, fucker, I'm halfway through a sweater that I'm probably going to finish today, so I'm already making my own clothes. I'm so fucked. I'm so fucked. The moment society falls, I have nothing to offer to anybody else. People all this time to prepare. People say they I've because I've told this to people before. I'm like, I have nothing to offer. And they're like, yeah, but you're very large. You could do physical labor. No, I can't. No, I, mean, <laughs> I spent too many years not doing physical labor that now I had to move a table and my back feels funny. OK, it's done for me. <laughs> See, that's that's where I've got Jake. Jake can do the physical labor. He, he would absolutely machete someone to death to protect me. We're going to survive the apocalypse. Yeah. I could try to live in your household by going like, oh, I can be funny. I'm not even the second funniest person in that household, Paige. (laughs) I'm fucked. (laughs) Okay, so there's soap. And we'll get into this a little bit more next week. Of course. A lot of homesteaders make their own soap. And you are probably like, Paige, why? why? Why would they do that? Because they're making what's called cold process soap. And cold process soap takes fats and combines them with lye in a process called saponification where it essentially is a chemical reaction that turns fat into soap it's the old way of making soap it's the way people on farms hundreds of years ago made soap and it allows you to use fats and things that you may have left over from other things on your farm to make soap So if you're making, if you have any meat on your farm or if you are growing any olives for olive oil or corn or anything that you can get oil from, palm oil, any number of those things, you can use that excess to make soap. So it's kind of like a byproduct. And that soap is very nice on your skin. It's very kind of luxurious and silky and whatever. Mm -hmm. So that's the kind of soap they're making. That's how they get into it. There you go. What I'm hearing from you now is that if I drink or eat, I'm not sure the consistency of it, a bunch of lye, then it'll that turn would kill you. it would turn my beer belly and into uh, a soap belly into a soap belly. I'd be so fresh. That's how you so get clean. washboard abs. Exactly. See, we found it. We found it. Uh, yeah. No, lye is caustic uh-huh. uh, and has to be chilled in order to add to the fats to moderate the chemical reaction. I've watched a lot of videos on YouTube about making soap. Mm-hmm. I don't sleep enough. Again, uh, is what I, this is. again, I want to call you a nerd so bad, but I need into <laughs> the Wesley compound so bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, yeah. I that that update that you gave me with of the Vista uh, Yellow Deli is crazy. So my mom yeah. used to live. I can say this now because she doesn't live there anymore, but she used to live about a block away from that area. Mm-hmm. And so when I would go visit her, we would pa- we would walk uh, past. Actually, even when I wasn't there, she would walk past Yellow Deli every single day on her like morning and afternoon walks. And to hear that they're just sort of taking up that little <laughs> that little business park. I mean, it's not really surprising because even before the pandemic, I would look at that community theater and go, who the fuck is going there? Well, and it's kind of tucked away. So like yeah. if you didn't know it was there now, granted, every time I've been to Yellow Deli, it's been packed. There's only yeah. been like one time where there weren't people. So like people go there for that. And they're not necessarily 12 tribes people. The food is just fucking so good. Like yeah. it shouldn't be. It's really, really it good. good. And I feel conflicted every time I eat there because I'm not exactly sure of their politics and stuff. So that's I why. Mean, as someone who's dug into it more and, and a has had varied experiences there. Mm-hmm. Um, in depending on the state that you are in there is more oversight over the restaurants and the restaurant workers now granted everyone that they're hiring is still in the organization um and they but they are mm, this is the tricky part they are paid because they have to be paid but what they choose to do with that money is up to them and oftentimes they choose to give it to the group and that's the part that's tricky because you're like, well, you are being paid, but I know where this money is going. And if that makes you not want to eat someplace, I fully understand. I yeah. completely understand. Um, I will also say that the restaurants are not as much where the child labor is happening. It's much more in their products and factories, which we'll talk about. That doesn't make it okay. But like, I'm just, you know, just saying if you've eaten there and you feel terrible about it. To temper it a little bit. Now, some of the accusations about they have some mm, bad uh, views on race that we'll cover next week. Yeah, and some Um, terrible views on sexuality. Yeah, that we will also cover next week. Um, I have been there now once and and will be there next weekend with an openly gay friend. And it was the first time that we had terrible service. And I yeah. was like, oh, shit, it's real. Because it took them an hour and a half to get our sandwich. Yeah. Uh, I, so I, I used to go yeah. there all the time when I lived in San Diego. Um, and for the most part, it would be really slow service. Like I told you, it's they're really slow. Mm-hmm. They Because one, they don't give a shit. And two, I'm brown. So they especially don't give a shit. Don't give a shit. Yeah. But the worst service I've ever had there in my life when it was me and a close friend. And, you know, we were just like, we hadn't seen each other for a while. So we're like hanging out, giving each other high fives, like being really close to each other. And I realized like midway into staying there that the employees were just like staring at us weird. And I was like, oh, oh, yeah, I think they uh, think we're a couple and no one is coming to help us mm-hmm yeah so yeah it's um the it's... fastest service i ever had there was when we went with my parents oh yeah and my mom <laughs> and and your mom and yeah but also i because here's the thing i i i'm also conflicted about giving them any money but i also love keeping tabs on them yeah where i'm just like i like watching and seeing what's going on and grabbing all their pamphlets and like 
poking around the mural in their bathroom and I'd definitely stolen one of their mugs. So like, <laughs> look, here's the thing. Anyone out there who wants to talk shit on us for eating at the yellow deli, I dare you to go try a deli rose. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, here's what I'm going to say. Whatever you spent at the yellow deli, turn around and give the same amount to organizations that would counteract the things that yellow deli does, but also spy on them. Yeah, exactly. Or do what my parents did and wear cult podcast t-shirts. Oh, my God. To the fucking yellow deli. Like, yeah, didn't, didn't the waiter look at it and, and she was like, um, hmm, that's um, an interesting shirt you've got on there. <laughs> yeah, I remember. I was like, guys, what are you doing? Well, uh, Paige, thank you so much for bringing this. I'm glad that I get to be a part of it this time. I know. I know. I'm, I'm glad. And next week is going to be really interesting because... All of the newer information that's come out, the stuff they've gotten on tape. The last time we did this, there were rumors. And and we just had uh, survivor accounts that were basically mm. like, this is what happened to me. And so we can say, hey, this is what this person said happened to them. But I can't tell you where. I don't have full details. I don't have like a news thing that backs it up. And now we have a lot of that stuff. And can see a lot of where there's problems. Now... They have had a number of raids in the last five, 10 years. Um, and with their leader dead, uh, I am very curious to see how things are going to progress and how things are going to continue. Because the reality is, church or not, uh, they have businesses. So like, even if the cult falls apart, they're still a company. Yeah. And <laughs> so they're... like... What are they going to do? I don't know. Yeah, and they're not like unsuccessful businesses. Like you said, they're taking up a whole fucking part of it's Vista, California. Fucking delicious, man. Yeah. I wish they didn't taste so good. <laughs> anyway. Well, I can't wait to get into the rest of the series. Hey, I'm Armando, and I'm here to tell you uh, that we have a Patreon. Uh... <laughs> Yes, you can go to patreon.com slash cult podcast to help support us making the show. It means so much to us until we can open up our own restaurant um, and force our, I mean, sorry, not force, volunteer our listeners to come work for us. Uh, Here's what I think we should do. Open a restaurant and then hire everyone from the Yellow Deli, but then like actually pay them, but be Mm -hmm. like, you can't give it to the Yellow Deli. You can't give it, you guys, you can't. I want you to make the sandwiches exactly the same, but now you have a 401k plan. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's actually a pretty good idea. I I know of a couple uh, uh, community theaters that need some buying up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, go to the Patreon, check us out, help support us making the show. It means so much to us. Um, also, uh, thank you to, uh, Rooster Tea. Go, 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 go. Cock-a-doodle-doo. You can go to roosterteeth.com. Uh, you can also download the Rooster Teeth app to listen to a bunch of really fun shows and uh, podcasts as well. One of our, one of the world, sorry, one of them being ours. Um, so go ahead and go check that out. Also, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to uh, a former host of the show, uh, Andrea Gazetta has a show, an art show, that is premiering April 9th at the VAR Gallery in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 
um it's really great the concept for it is really awesome if you want to learn more about the show which again debuts on april 9th in milwaukee wisconsin uh that will also have like a virtual walkthrough ability if you're not able to travel or you don't feel comfortable traveling um if you want to learn more about it go to at andrea gazetta on instagram to to find out more uh just seeing the pieces that she's been creating it's amazing they're incredible and yeah, she painted me for one of them and I'm kind of obsessed with it. And now I'm going to have to like save up money and buy it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because or I'm you... like, I want it in my house. I can't imagine it in somebody else's house. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. There are pieces of my face that she has painted that now exist in other people's homes. And that is a weird feeling to me. <laughs> yeah. Cause you're like, who wants my face in their home? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. My mom. But people do, I guess. My mom has a painting of my face uh, that she has in her home office that is hanging up next to a picture that a different ex-girlfriend took of my face. And she's just slowly collecting artifacts of her son from all of these various ex-girlfriends. And I like uh, that your mom has like her own breakup gallery. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the worst part is I was, when I stayed over at her house, I had to stay in that room and it's just staring at me in the face like, oh, remember funny. all of the people that you've broken up with, you piece of shit. <laughs> um, so, yeah. But Andrea's show is, is uh, going to be really awesome. She's told me some of the stuff that she has planned for it. It's fucking killer. It's amazing. So... Uh, go follow her on Instagram. And if you want to find out what I'm doing and, and the stuff that I've got going on, follow me on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, uh, Twitch, all of them at Mondo Does Stuff. Twitch is twitch.tv slash Mondo Does Stuff. And that is M-A-N-D-O Does Stuff, all one word. Thank you so much. Good night and good luck. <laughs> hey, it's your girl. I'm here every week. Uh, coming up this week, if you're listening to this on Monday... Uh, March 2nd, which is Wednesday, I'm at Johnny Pastrami's in Los Angeles telling jokes, but more importantly, eating a lot of pastrami mm-hmm. uh, for pastrami comedy, which I did tell them should be pastrami, but they had already bought the socials and gotten whatever. <laughs> so like, who cares? Uh, March 4th, I will be in San Diego at Duckfoot Brewery headlining. Then March 12th, through the 14th, I am in Austin, Texas for an undisclosed event occurring in Austin, Texas that requires me to potentially tell jokes. Uh, there you go. Uh, you can check all that out on my social media. You can follow me at Paige Wesley on Twitter or at Rampage Wesley on Instagram and or TikTok. I don't really post to TikTok often, but I watch TikTok often, so that's something yeah Uh, yeah. and if you want if you want more Paige wesley in your life which you absolutely do um consider listening to her on the uh on horror virgin and uh on black card rehab and romancing the pod the pod yes uh horror virgin today if you're listening to this monday is leprechaun (laughs) (laughs) which one the first one the first one, oh, the good. first one, because we'd never done one. And so we had to do one yeah. so that we could get to the other one. <laughs> oh, my God. Leprechaun follows. Leprechaun is actually probably a, a way bigger example of it, of what I call the uh, the Freddy Krueger effect, where yes. you have one scary movie and then campier and campier and campier movies. Afterwards. Oh, I'm here to tell you. There's not even one scary movie. 
Yeah. It's, it starts at a nightmare three and then just goes up from there. God damn yeah. it. Sometimes I love horror as a genre. Um, yeah. So go check her out on all of those amazing shows. If you want to follow our show on Instagram, you can by going to at Colt Podcast. Or at Cult Podcast Show on Twitter. You can also send us an email to cultpodcastshow at gmail.com. And if you want to send us your homemade cold process soap, dear God, please, I love it so much. Send it to 3756 West Avenue 40, Sweet K, number 237. Like, like the, Shining. the Shining, Los Angeles, California, 90065. And I think for this one, I'm going to say... Don't drink anything Ted Patrick hands you. Oh, yeah. Absolutely not. <laughs> uh, do drink the home-brewed kombucha or whatever it is that they make at Yellow Deli, mm. I guess. They got Virgil's Root Beer on tap, page. That's what it is. It's the Virgil's Root Beer on tap. <sighs> Why does it taste so damn good? <sighs> anyway. And bye. Bye. Bye.